0: You guys, but I love what we had for dinner tonight, and to be honest, it's not every time I look at the schedule of what's for dinner that I get excited and thrive, but tonight I did because we're having Southern Barbecue, and I love Southern Barbecue. I'm pro-Southern Barbecue. There's a lot of things that I'm pro. I'm pro-Southern Barbecue, I'm pro-sweet tea. I had my wife stop on the way here at Chick-fil-A and pick up a gallon of sweet tea back there because nothing goes better with barbecue than sweet tea. Ryan's holding it up back there. So pro barbecue, pro sweet tea. I'm pro college football. I love college football. We got rivalry weekend coming up. USC, UCLA. Got that matchup going. A lot of things that I'm pro. A lot of things that you're pro. Things that you're for. But there's a few things that I'm against that I'm anti. You might be against these same things. You might be anti these same things. This is audience participation time. So I'm going to name a few things that we might be anti. have anti in the name. And you can help me out here. For example... If you're suffering from allergies, you might want to take a medication that is a we got one up here on the screen. I'd say, there we go. You might want to take an antihistamine like Claritin, Zyrtec, something like that. Because the reality is histamines are chemicals that cause you to sneeze. They uh, have an allergic reaction. Eyes get watery. You don't want that. We're against histamines. That's not good. Histamines are not good. We're against those. A lot of times at work, I work as a fireman, but also as a paramedic. And so we go on a lot of people that are suffering from depression, and so guess what kind of medications they take? <laughs> Antidepressants, they take those meds, and sometimes they've taken all of those. When asked to see their medication list, they hand me all of those right there Zoloft and Paxil, and all those, because it's not good. People don't want to be depressed. They're anti depression, where I'm sure we're all anti depression. We don't want to be depressed. Now, I don't know if you've been reading about the news this week up in Buffalo, New York, off Lake Erie, there, they're getting hammered with snow, six feet and two more feet on the way. That'd be a good time when you get in your car for it to start. If you want it to start in those freezing conditions in your radiator, you better put a little antifreeze, right? Antifreeze. If you want that thing to start water, it's just going to turn into ice. That won't work. So you want to put some antifreeze in that. If you're ever speaking in public like I'm doing right now, you know it would be really embarrassing if I had those sweat circles under my armpits? I hopefully don't. Okay, good. Um, So to avoid that, before I came over here tonight, I had to use a little... Anti-perspirant, there it is. Matter of fact, I use that same type right there, that exact one. Cool wave, Gillette, clear gel. Dries fast. No sweat circles. Anti-perspirant. Nobody wants to be embarrassed by their perspiration when they're on stage or anywhere else, right? And then finally, you moms know this one. If your kids are coming from a park or some common area where a lot of kids have been touching stuff, the playground like over at Chick-fil-A, something like that, you might want to wash their hands with soap, but a special kind of soap. You might want to use what kind of soap? Antibacterial soap—you might want to use some soft soap or some Dial or whatever is antibacterial. Bacteria is not good; we don't want that. It's germs. It's nasty. These are things that I'm sure most, if not all, of us would agree that we should be anti. These things that we just mentioned, but there's one thing that we should never be anti. More specifically, there's one person that we should never be anti. We should never be anti-Christ, and that's what we're going to continue reading about tonight in First John chapter two. So, if you have your Bibles, Go ahead and pull those out or your mobile device. Go ahead and pull up that passage, First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 18. That was a segue. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 18. You can stop laughing back there. I can hear you. John says this. He says, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that, they, that all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son? No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We'll stop right there for now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this passage in uh, 1 John chapter 2. As we identify who this coming Antichrist is and who these plural Antichrists are. God, and although uh, it's important that we know who Antichrist is, it's more important that we know who Jesus Christ is. And so, God, we pray that tonight, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they might come to know you personally and intimately, turn from their sin and put their trust in Christ. And for those that already know you, we pray that we would know you more, we would know you better as you reveal yourself in your word tonight, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look up at verse 18 again. just want to read it again. It says, children... It's the last hour. As you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. I think when you read a verse like that, it's important to identify a couple of things, to um, uh, really define a couple of things. First, the last hour. And then this coming Antichrist. We need to define what that is or who that is. Identify that. So first, the last hour. That's really simple, actually. The last hour is the period of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming which hasn't happened yet, but is imminent. It's called the last hour. And I like how one commentator said, he said, hey, if John 2,000 years ago said that we're in the last hour, then it's safe to say here in 2014, we're in the last minutes. As the uh, hairband Europe said, we're in the final countdown, right? This is it. That's a date yourself from the 80s right there. But that's what the last hour is. We're in the last hour. We're in the final minutes. But next, who's this antichrist that John talks about, this coming antichrist? You know, a lot of people have guessed who it might be. Some people say it's the Pope. Some people say it's our current president or one of our past presidents. I remember back in the 70s when I was growing up, people said it was Henry Kissinger. Some of your mentors may remember that. Um, Chances are it's not any of them. So we don't know exactly who it is, but we do know what his character is going to be. We do have a picture of what he's going to look like. There are several passages in scripture that mention and I'm going to draw your attention to two of them tonight. Give a little description of who this antichrist is. So, first one's it found in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2. So, if you go and turn over there in your Bible, 2nd Thess 2 verses 3 and 4. We're going to turn to several passages tonight, so just get your page turning fingers ready. We're going to be busy looking up scripture tonight. And let me give you a uh, as you're turning there, let me give you a brief background on what's going on here this Antichrist is going to be fully revealed in what's called the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period that's yet to come. He's going to be fully known in the second half of that, a final three and a half years. We don't have time to get in that night. I wish we did. But if you have questions about that, Pastor Elliot's right back there. I'll be glad to answer that for you after the passage. But that's the context where we're at. In this passage, we're talking about the final three and a half years of this coming tribulation. And it says this, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writing in Thessalonians, he says this, he says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, the day of Christ's return, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. There's a little uh, description of him. At first, he calls him the man of lawlessness. He doesn't obey the law. Matter of fact, he's a law unto himself. At least he thinks he is, right? He's lawless, man of lawlessness. Goes on to call him a son of destruction and how perfect for anyone related to Satan, a son of destruction. You remember Jesus said of Satan, he called him a thief and he said, the thief has come only to steal, to kill and to destroy. So a little brief sidebar, you know that that's his agenda for you, right? That's what he wants for your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're on the brink of divorce. And maybe you came here as a last-ditch effort. Well, I'm telling you right now that Satan would love for you to follow through with that. Go ahead with the divorce. He loves to destroy marriages. He loves to destroy families. Guys, maybe you're at work and been flirting with that girl or gal's been flirting with that neighbor or whatever. You know what? Satan loves that. He would love to dangle that carrot out in front of you in an effort to destroy everything that's precious to you. He's a son of destruction. Verse 4 says, during this tribulation period, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. During this time, he's not just going to be against Christians. He's going to be against all forms of worship. Worshiping any God from any religion. And he says, because he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's why he's getting rid of all religion, if you will. He's God, at least in his own mind. He wants everybody to worship him as God. So that's the first description we have of him. The second one is found in Revelation chapter 13. Flip over there, last book of your Bible. Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9. Here he's called the beast. Revelation chapter 13 verses 5 through 9. It says this. It's funny now you don't hear pages turn anymore like you used to because everybody's on their cell phones or iPads. I love it. Anyway, it says this. It says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, the tribulation saints, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth during that time of the tribulation will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And like Jesus would always say, verse 9, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. So there you go. Now we define the, the last hour. We've identified the modus operandi, the M-O, if you will, of the Antichrist. And if this character that we just read about in, in Second Thess and in Revelation is Antichrist with a capital A, if you will, then we need to identify who these Antichrist plural are with a small a that verse 18 talks about. John made it rather easy to identify who they are. Go back to our passage in told you we'd be busy flipping here. Go back to our passage in verse 22 of 1 John 2. 1 John 2, back to verse 22. Read about these antichrist plural with a small a, if you will. He's going to identify them for us. It says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So these antichrists, ones with a small a are those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. And since we've been defining words and since labeling someone as an antichrist is a pretty big accusation, I think we'd all agree we should probably define what the word Christ means. If someone's antichrist and we're going to accuse them of being that, we might want to know what Christ is so we know what an antichrist is. Well, Christ, the word Christ in Greek is the word Christos. It means anointed one, chosen one. The equivalent Hebrew word is Mashiach, which means Messiah. So then an Antichrist, small a, would be someone who denies that Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one of God, or God's Messiah. That's what that looks like. And I thought it'd be interesting to see what people in Orange County thought about Jesus. So I took a video camera and went down to the Irvine Spectrum and I asked people, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? I didn't really do that. Um, <laughs> I, I know they'd probably frown on that, plus I don't have a good video camera. But I do have a video that I pulled up off the internet of someone doing that, asking people, not at the spectrum, somewhere else, asking people who they thought of Jesus. It's two minutes long, but I think you'll be interested in some of the responses. So draw your attention to the screen here if Jeremiah is ready to A Jew, definitely, and yeah, he was a reformer, but I don't believe him to be the Messiah at all. Uh, Who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? Ooh, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, I believe he existed, um, but I believe that he might have been like a rock star, like you know, pretty cool, like maybe people thought he was super cool, but I don't believe in him as like a religious force. He's a person in history, that's all. It's a comfy story that probably makes people feel secure do I believe Jesus Christ to be? Like, what kind of question is that? Is he, is he anything to you at all or what's your thoughts I mean, on him? he's a religious figure. He uh, had, I mean, he obviously had a good message to send. I don't know if I, he's not my savior, but he's, he was a good guy for sure. Jesus Christ to be. I think Jesus Christ pretty much is um, who you believe yourself to be. I think Jesus Christ was a magician. I mean, he studied studied in the Far East, kind of like David Blaine, but he had way cooler tricks. He's a dead man um, who uh, had an enormous impact on the world, Uh, said a lot of wise things, um, and uh, was the man of his time. He's like God you can talk to, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, like yeah. God that, you can, talk God that to. you can talk to I mean when I pray I pray I just say like God and I say like thank you Jesus but yeah I think like they're both kind of listening It's kind of like conference call <laughs> <laughs> Who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? Jesus Christ uh, I don't know The Savior <laughs> Guy from history Who is Jesus Christ? John McCain is Jesus Christ I, I believe in the historic personage of Jesus but I don't I don't really buy into the water and into wine. A person, a historical figure, that's it. There you go. That's just one video of about 10 different ones like that that I watched, and you got very similar responses in all of them. But you notice some of the responses in that video. uh, One gal said that he's uh, like a rock star. One guy said he's a person in history, but that's all. One guy said he's a good guy. Another one, you saw the guy say he's, he's like a magician, like David Blaine, but with cooler tricks. One guy said he was a dead man who said wise things. And then finally, the gal there said he's a, a person, historic figure, but that's it. At best, some of these answers fall miserably short by calling him a good guy or a historic figure. Yeah, he's both of those things, but he's obviously much more. And at worst, some are just plain wrong, saying that he's a dead man or a magician. But it's funny because Jesus had this very similar question for his disciples. Who's Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Matthew sixteen, turn over there, Matthew chapter sixteen, beginning of verse thirteen. Quick thing on that, though, you know, that was eye-opening for me when I watched those videos. Um, I think you can sometimes just assume that people know who Christ is, and obviously a lot of people don't. And so with your evangelical efforts, just know that that's where a lot of people are coming from as you try to share the gospel with them. Maybe that'll help you in your efforts to evangelize. So anyway, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, says this. This is now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that Jesus is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets or, I don't know, some rock star or some magician or some good guy. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? He's asking all his disciples that. Peter speaks up. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And I love Jesus' response. It says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Watch some interviews. Jesus obviously interviewing, if you will, his disciples. My question is, if I were to interview you on your way out of Thrive tonight, not with your spouse, just you and I, was an interview you and ask you, Who is Jesus? What would you say? I'm not talking about the I'm at church so I better say the right thing type of answer. I'm talking who do you really believe Jesus to be in your heart of hearts? If you believe anything less than what Peter said when he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and you think he was simply a man, you think he was a good guy, you think he was a magician, you think et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The harsh reality is, and this you might want to brace yourself is, according to 1 John, according to God's word, the Bible, you are antichrist. Right there, you might throw a flag on the play, and you say, Scott, I resent you saying that. I resent that. I love Jesus. All I'm saying is, all that John is saying is, if the Jesus that you love is anything less than the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he's a Jesus of your own imagination, but he's not a Jesus of the Bible. That's the harsh truth. Or maybe like my former roommate said, back in a high school and early college, He used to say, Scott, I got saved during that time, and I started sharing with him. And he said, Scott, I love God. I just don't love Jesus. According to our passage back in 1 John, again, that's impossible. Because verse 23 said, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Not to be irreverent, but it's a package deal. You can't have one without the other. It doesn't work that way. But I put it this way. Number one on your outline you need to answer the question, who is Jesus? Honestly answer that question. Who do you believe him to be? Answer the question, who is Jesus? <clears throat> and maybe as you do that, maybe like some people in the video, you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe it's because you've been taught something different about Jesus, maybe from a teacher or your parents or maybe a, a church that you attended Maybe it's a cult that you came out of, and you've been taught through the years that Jesus is something less than the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe you're taught that Jesus is or was Michael the archangel. He is not Michael the archangel. He created angels. Therefore, he's not one of them. Maybe you're taught that he was the brother of Lucifer. Again, Lucifer's an angel, a fallen angel, but an angel nonetheless, a created being. He's not the brother of Lucifer. Or Here's one I see all the time, and it Disheartening. I see people wearing shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Or Pastor Mike said the other day, Jesus is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He's not along for the ride. We're here to serve him. He's not here to serve us, right? Did he come to serve? Absolutely. But he's not our slave. He's not Santa Claus. He's not our homeboy. He's not our co-pilot. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The title of the message, look down at your worksheet, is Battling False Teachers. If you listened and believed any of these false teachings about Jesus, it's just a matter of time before you leave the body of Christ. You'll defect. It's just a matter of time. Our passage says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And time will tell. It's like I mentioned the last time I spoke, about a month ago when I was up here, um, when I first got saved years ago, I was in a college age ministry. And from time to time, I'll see somebody from that ministry. And I'll say, hey, how's so and so doing? And they say, oh man, he's gone. And this is, remember, this has been over 25 years ago, almost 26 years ago. Oh, he left right after you left. And I don't mean he left, he became a prodigal and came back to Christ. I'm talking he's gone. He doesn't walk with God anymore. He's been exposed for what our passage says. He was with us, but he really wasn't of us. I like what commentator John Stott said. He said this he said, they, people that do that, they shared our earthly company, but not our heavenly birth. They shared our earthly company, not our heavenly birth. In other words, they were churchgoers, but they were never really born again. And time will tell. That's what John tells us. So right now you might be saying, so Scott, are you saying that somehow my endurance in the body of Christ somehow earns me my salvation? I'm not saying that at all. But again, I, I will quote John Stott again. I'll put a, a, a quote up here on the screen. He quotes Mark 13. That's the first part there, the first sentence says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus said that. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I love it. He nails it. He says, not because salvation is the reward of endurance, but because endurance is the hallmark of the saved. It's a great quote. Not because salvation is the reward of endurance, but because endurance is the hallmark of the saved. It's just the proof. It's the evidence that you're really saved. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you'll still be here. I don't mean necessarily at Compass Bible Church, but you'll still be a part of the body of Christ. That's just the evidence. That's just the proof. Well, we talked a lot about antichrist, and uh, it was, we needed to, because John did. But now I want to shift gears, something I'd rather talk about talk about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about people that are pro-Christ, that are for Jesus. So turn back to our passage in 1 John chapter 2 and look at verses 20 and 21. Back to 1 John 2. 20 and 21. Well, go back to the end of 19. People were just talking about it. It says, second part of verse 19, but they went out that it might become plain All are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Or as we say in the South, you all have knowledge. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. I love verse 20 there. It says, you've been anointed by the Holy One. What's that mean? Been anointed by the Holy One. It means that the moment of your conversion, the moment that you repented of your sins and placed your trust in Christ, you received the Holy Spirit as a seal of your salvation. You don't have to, look, you don't have to turn there. I'll just, just jot this down. Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. Ephesians one, 13 and 14. Paul writing the Ephesians, he says this. He says, having believed, that's the moment of conversion. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. All true believers have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. All true believers do. But verse 20 goes on to say, not only do you have the Holy Spirit, but also says you have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, keep reading verse 21. He says, I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. You know what? You know the truth. You have knowledge of the truth, the truth of God, which the Holy Spirit reveals. They're working in tandem. So now... The question might be, well, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and he reveals truth to me, then why do I need to read my Bible? I got the Holy Spirit. He reveals truth to me. So why on earth would I need to be in my Bible? Let me share my own conversion experience and maybe, I'll, maybe it'll help. Hopefully it does. November 2nd, 1988. I went to church because I grew up in the Bible Belt, and I knew of Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And I knew that. I knew in my heart of hearts that I didn't know him. Went to church, heard the message. There was an invitation to repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ, and I didn't want to do it there publicly because I was too ashamed. So I was driving home in my 1988 black Chevy Camaro with gold trim, five-speed. And uh, gutless, though, it was a V6. Don't tell anybody that. But anyway... uh, I prayed to God right then and I said, God, I have played games with you my entire life and I don't want to do that anymore. And I do repent of my sins and I do place my trust in Christ. And at that moment, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to take residence in me to the point that had I gotten a car accident on my way home that night after that, I was already sealed. I would be in heaven based on that. And having never opened the Bible from the time I was saved to the time I died in that perceived car crash. But what I did when I got home, first thing I did was I busted out my Bible and I started reading. Because although truth had been revealed to me in the Holy Spirit, I wanted more truth to be revealed to me. And the way I was really going to get to know God better is by spending time with Him. This isn't a salvation issue. This is a sanctification issue now. Last passage I'm going to have you turn to. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is our Iwana verse, right? 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Paul says this to his uh, understudy Timothy. He says, do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved. Is that a salvation issue? We earn his favor, right? We have to prove ourselves to him. Not salvation issue, but it is a sanctification issue. You're already accepted if you're a believer, but you want to be approved practically, not positionally, right? And then he goes on to say, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The same truth we just talked about in 1 John chapter 2, you have knowledge of this truth, but there's a right way to handle it. The implication, there's a wrong way to handle it. The only way you're going to be rightly be able to handle the word of truth is to read it and to study it. My question is, are you doing that? Oh, the broken record. You guys say this every week. We'll continue to do so because it's that important. Without a show of hands, without a show of hands, how many of you read your Bible today? Without a show of hands. Mike, you can raise your hand. Mike read his Bible today. He raised his hand. How about this week without a show of hands? You read your Bible this week. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, here we go. Guilt trip for not reading my Bible, right? Oh, man, I'm so sick of this. Didn't read. Now they're only for not reading my Bible. It's a guilt trip. No, remember who John's talking to. He's talking to those that have received this anointing of the Holy Spirit. They've received the Holy Spirit. These are born-again believers that he's talking to. This isn't about any kind of legalism or anything like that. It's about relationship. I think about last night my son Seth came home from his Bible study, True North, and I said, Seth, what was your Bible study about tonight? He so said we talked about prayer and the importance to, to pray to God to communicate with him. I go, you know what? That's interesting that you say that. Because I think about that all the time. I think about if we're in a relationship with Christ, how important it is to talk to him. Think about your spouse, you're in a relationship with him. Think about if I told Seth this, I think think about if your mom and I we didn't talk. We're still married. But what kind of relationship do you think we'd have if we didn't spend time communicating? That's prayer. Well, God's word is how he's chosen to communicate with us. We communicate Him with him primarily through prayer and he primarily to us through his word. So imagine, ladies, if your husband came home from work, you had something really important to tell him. He just walked right by you and walked upstairs. And you say, well, my husband does do that. You know, hopefully not. But, uh, Well, I'm sure it's happened from time to time, hopefully not as a pattern. If it went on every day as a pattern, you really are trying to communicate with your husband, and he just blows you off and walks right by you. Like I said, you're still married, but what kind of relationship are you going to have? Not a healthy one. We want to help you. We have DBR, women's now time. DBR stands for daily Bible reading. If you're new to our church, you know what that means, daily Bible reading. I want everybody right now, this is audience participation, to pull out your cell phone or mobile device, everybody. Jeremiah's going to do it up here on the screen for us. Everybody type in, go to your Safari or whatever your web browser is. I'm going to do it with you. Everybody go to compasschurch.org, compasschurch.org. I don't know where it comes up on your mobile device. Right there, it comes up on the right-hand side of the page if you go on your laptop or on your iPad. And you can click on it. Mine comes up right there in the dead center, daily Bible reading. We have a good shepherd in Pastor Mike, so he gives us a pastor's note every single day before the daily Bible reading. And we're going through the Bible in a year and where we happen to be today. What's today? Uh, November 20th? We're in Ezekiel 22 and 23 and James chapter 2. If you scroll down, you'll see James chapter 2 from the New Testament. Our staff here at Compass Bible Church and Ryan, Holly, and I, we're not asking you to do anything we don't do. We read these passages. My wife and I sat down on our sofa today and we read Ezekiel 22 and 23. We read James chapter 2 and we learned a lot from that. We learned that God's a jealous God. He had a divided kingdom of Israel and Judah that were cheating on him. The word he used, they were whoring after other gods. That's important to know. That's revealed truth. Because you know what? At the end of the day, 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things were written for our instruction. So that we, for our example. So we don't do the same things that they did. And it reminds me, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to whore, if you will, after other gods. We read James chapter 2. is great. Talk about um, faith without works is dead. That's important. I was glad to be reminded of that truth. But, We're just trying to give you these tools so that you'll read the Word of God. Trust me, you're going to want to. And if you're a born-again believer, I don't know why you wouldn't want to. And maybe you're new and you're saying, well, I've read passages like this and I just don't understand them. We have tools for that. Our bookstore has commentaries. There's online commentaries. I use online commentaries to prepare this message tonight. You have your uh, small group leaders. You have your mentor couples. They'd be glad to help you with these things. Someone that's more mature in the faith. We want you to read the Word of God. This isn't guilt. This isn't legalism. And I know we seems like we harp on it all the time because it's that important. It's that important to God. So I put it this way, number two on your outline, number two on your outline. Increase your knowledge of the truth by reading God's word, studying God's word. Reading it, studying it. Increase your knowledge of the truth by doing that. Like I said, I don't know why any believer wouldn't want to do that. In the same way, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be intimate with your spouse. And I'm not talking about sexual or physical intimacy necessarily. I'm talking about even conversational intimacy. Hopefully you have that with your wife where you sit across the table and you talk. Or sit on the sofa and talk. Wherever you go on your bed and talk. Wherever And in the same way, I hope you have that same conversational intimacy with God as you speak to him in prayer and as he speaks to you in his word. Let's do that this week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these truths, God. Uh, Thank you for speaking to us about things that we need to hear about, about this last hour that we're in right now, that we're in presently, about this coming Antichrist and we know what he's gonna look like now and if we identify these these little antichrists, if you will, and if we are one, we don't like to hear that's a we hear that word's almost like a cuss word, God, Antichrist. We don't wanna be called an antichrist. But like I said, God, it's your word that says if we believe anything less than what your word reveals about Jesus, that he's the Christ, the Son of the Living God, then that's essentially what we are. We're antichrist. And I pray if anybody finds himself in that camp tonight, that they do business with you tonight as they kneel by their bed or in their car like I did driving home and to say, God, I want to put my trust in you. I want to believe you for who you say you are. And then, God, for those of us that know you, we don't, we're not trying to guilt anybody, God. We're trying to get people to get into your word because that's your revealed truth. That's how you've chosen to speak to us, God. And your word, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we all need direction. We're trying to navigate through raising children. We're trying to navigate our marriage. We're trying to navigate, navigate work, where we're supposed to live. All of that, God, that's helpful for that too. But even more importantly, even if we didn't have any of those things, we just want to know you personally and we want to know you intimately, not from afar. So we pray, pray you'd help us do that today. We pray you'd help us do this, that this week, this month, and the rest of this year, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.